Hey, thank you for uh, watching, uh, taking the time to uh, get on our website and, and, and look at this. Um, people who know me well know that I do not cancel church. Uh, we could have, you know, a snowstorm of 12-foot drifts. Uh, we could have nuclear war, and I would not cancel church. Just don't believe in doing that. But uh, with this whole coronavirus thing and uh, people so afraid about getting it or wondering if they have it and we don't have any tests, so they can't really check. And uh, I've just kind of, you know, watching the news, local and national. Uh, well, something happened in the last couple of days. My wife runs an organization called Kidspire, and she had about 400 people coming for a dinner, and uh, within 48 hours, that number had dropped to like 200 uh, people just dropping out because they're scared to death about coronavirus. So I called Micah, and I said, Micah, I don't think we're doing our people any favor by having church. Uh, they're just they're worried already. What do you say for two, three weeks, we just do uh, church uh, online and... Uh, let people uh, stay home and keep that social distance, which seems to be the main strategy to slow down uh, the spread of coronavirus. So, if you're watching, uh, I'm I'm glad that that you that you are. Um, just want to say one other thing. Uh, it, you know, the church uh, uh, we still need your gifts. When we don't meet, it gets pretty hard uh, to, to do giving. So. Go on our website, and there's several ways you can give, and uh, uh, please uh, support your church. All right, so today I'm talking about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? No topic is spoken of more frequently by Jesus than the kingdom of God. Uh, the term is used 170 times in the four Gospels. What does it mean? Every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom has a domain. What is the kingdom of God? So I want you just to think for a moment. What is the kingdom of God? Maybe you're watching alone. Maybe you're with a friend. Maybe you're with your family. Uh, just stop for a moment, discuss. What, is the, what do you think the kingdom of God is? What does it mean to you? This is the seventh in a series of messages called Jesus' Curriculum. We're looking at seven key things Jesus taught his disciples. The first one is, what is the purpose? The answer is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The second question is, what is the gospel? Now, the answer is, the gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. Uh, the third question is, what is the work? Uh, the work is to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our number one work. The number one thing we do is to believe in Him. We pray to Him before we do something. Uh, we don't worry about something, but when we, we find ourselves doing that, we turn to Him and say, help me. Uh, we believe in Him first. Uh, the fourth is, what is the ministry? 
The answer is the ministry is reconciliation of people to God and people to each other. What's our church all about? If you, if you could just say, bottom line, what are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to reconcile people to God and people to each other. The fifth is, what is the church? And the answer is, the church is the body of Christ. All people who put their faith in Christ are part of His body, and we take the fullness of Christ everywhere we go. The sixth is, what is the method of leadership? The method of leadership is to serve people. And now today we do the seventh. What is the kingdom of God? Uh, Teenager, single, Married, parent, grandparent, you need to know what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one of the least understood principles in the Bible. Jesus talks about two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, or the kingdom of Satan. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked the earth for 40 more days discussing the kingdom of God. Luke tells us about this in Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul, the last two years of his life, he spent speaking about the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke tells us about this in his last chapter of Acts 28.30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. Now, he is still a prisoner in Rome. It would be like what we might call a halfway house. He was still under prison confinement, but it was in his own place and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Uh, Jesus in his uh, famous uh, Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, most often he used stories. Matthew 13, 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Uh, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. Now, most of the time in the Gospels, it's the kingdom of God. But Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and uh, Jewish people believed it was, it was wrong to use the name of God. His name is so holy. And so Matthew inserts kingdom of heaven each time. But it means the same thing, kingdom of God kingdom of heaven. Matthew thirteen thirty one. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, same as kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Matthew thirteen thirty three. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Uh, Jesus used stories. Stories are interesting. 
Uh, great speakers always use stories because people can visualize stories. And we remember what we visualize. Uh, stories are indirect. If Jesus had just, just, you know, just said, hey, I'm the son of God. Get used to it. Many people would have just kind of blown him off. But by telling them a story, they would take it home and they'd think about it. And maybe they would come uh, to understand. Jason Pamer is the owner of Thepsis Motion Pictures in Seattle. He's the producer and writer of Hearts of Men, a retelling of the prodigal son. Great movie. Uh, also, he wrote and produced Rape for Profit, a documentary set in Seattle exposing the sex trade and the demand that fuels it. He helped produce Spider-Man. Uh, he serves the kingdom of God by doing good craftsmanship, writing and producing good movies that have uh, an excellent story that make an impact in people's lives. He's trying to be salt in the world by making movies that add flavor to this world. Just watch uh, Jason uh, for a couple of minutes tell his story, what he's trying to do with movies. You know, in the 15th century, there's a German cobbler, and he approached a theologian by the name of Martin Luther. And he said, how can I become a good Christian cobbler? And Luther responded by saying, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because ultimately, God is interested in good craftsmanship. That idea has stuck with me for a long time. It has actually become a central axiom to uh, my job and my role as a storyteller and a filmmaker. Uh, my name is Jason Pamer, and I'm a filmmaker in Seattle, Washington. My name is attached to the critically acclaimed Rape for Profit, which had a theatrical release in uh, 2012. I'm currently working on a film called Hearts of Men, which will release in theaters later this year. As Jesus' followers were to be light and salt, one of the reasons I love being in the film industry is because I get to be that salt. And historically, the church has done a really good job of focusing on the preservation quality of salt. But the aspect of salt that doesn't get enough focus is the flavor quality. Salt is added to meals to add flavor. And being in the entertainment space, I'm allowed to add flavor to culture. And the medium of film demands that first it needs to be entertaining, and then it can be transformational. But if it's not entertaining, it will not be transformational. And I think that's the idea that Luther was getting at, that you know, if I just made sure my films had little crosses all over it, and it wasn't good craftsmanship, then it wouldn't hit the hearts and minds of people. So for a living, I'm, I'm allowed to and given this opportunity to craft story. And what it's allowed me to do is see into my own story in a really unique way. So, so my day-to-day -day looks different making a film. Some days I'll be on set, you know, 40, 45 people. And then other days I'm in the writing and the development process. Or other days I'm in the, the marketing and distribution process. But the, one of the central things to my day is community. When I hear their story, what I'm really looking at is this incredible storyteller behind them that has written their story. 
so to get back to this big idea of God cares about good craftsmanship, that helps me frame all these little moments in time with the barista, with the restaurant owner, with the friend, with the business partner. It helps shape all these moments because I am not obligated to end those moments with, and John 1 says, that is not my obligation. My obligation and my responsibility is to be present in that moment and to dive into their story. The master storyteller is weaving all these stories together and he's allowing us to engage with these stories and to recognize that our story is a part of it. So what is the kingdom of God? In Luke 17, verse 20, we read, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Uh, you can tell by their question. They're wanting to know, uh, Jesus, when's the kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom going to come when we throw off Rome from ruling over the Jewish people? Um in 132 A.D., a man named Simon Bar Kokhba uh, led a uh, uh, uprising, and they established a, a independent Jewish state. And the Jewish people were thrilled. This is like their glory years for a, for a period of time. Um, and so they thought he was the Messiah until the Romans quelled the uprising, and uh, then. Uh, Bar Kokhba fell out of favor and they realized he really wasn't the Messiah. But my point is, the fact that they thought he was the Messiah tells you what they were looking for. A kingdom that would uh, be a physical kingdom and would throw off uh, the power of Rome. So Luke 17.20, once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, notice Luke calls it the kingdom of God, not kingdom of heaven like Matthew would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What does Jesus mean by this? Jesus declared that he fulfilled Isaiah 61 uh, in Luke 4, 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Jesus had come into the synagogue and he was going to teach Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, Jesus fulfilled every part of that prophecy by teaching the truth and delivering people from the power of Satan. Maybe people who uh, were sick and they needed to be healed, or they were oppressed or possessed by a demon. The Apostle Paul hones in on the, the meaning of the kingdom of God in Colossians 1.13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Uh, through Christ's death on the cross... Dying for our sins, God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom of Satan. Uh, Paul calls Satan the God of this world. He brings us into the kingdom of his son. So Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Every kingdom must have a king. When 
the Jewish leaders asked Jesus when the kingdom would come. The reason Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst is because he was there. He is the king. Now, in Matthew 13, 44 to 46, if you want to turn in your Bible, this is what we're going to look at for the rest of this message. Uh, Jesus shares two parables back to back. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He shares two parables because he wants to emphasize the importance of the kingdom of God. And both parables are identical in their meaning. A person finds great treasure. He sells everything he has to buy it. Who's not fascinated by hidden treasure? There are many movies about finding, chasing after treasure. You can kind of feel the emotions of this man. He's working his land. The sun is beating down in his head. His brow is filled with sweat. He's holding the plow. He's done this many times. This is monotony, just like other days. He's going along, and all of a sudden he hits an obstruction, a rock, he presumes. So he gets down on his hands and knees and begins to remove the dirt and the the clods and the weeds, and he finds the rock, and he starts digging. But it's not a rock. It's a chest. His heart starts beating faster, and he said, could it be? He knew where he lived. Palestine was between Egypt to the south and Babylon to the north. Uh, they were two great kingdoms over centuries, basically, and they would uh, fight over, and, and so a lot of wars would be run through Palestine. And if, if you're running from an enemy and you've got a big chest of, this is your uh, treasure, Rather than having the chance of that getting taken, you, you might stop and bury it in the ground and cover it over and, 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 and keep going. This man knows that. And so he digs and he pulls out this chest and he pries it open and it's filled with jewels. He holds them up and they, they gleam in the sunlight. All of a sudden he becomes afraid. He looks around. Did anybody see him? So he quickly puts the, puts the jewels back in the chest and, and buries it in the ground again, covers it over with dirt, maybe a little bit of straw. And he forms a plan in his mind. He goes home. And he says to his wife, quick, let's sell the house. Let's sell everything so we can buy this field. In joy, Jesus says, he sells everything to buy the treasure. What's Jesus' point? The po- his point is the kingdom of God is discovering Jesus. It's discovering that He loves us and He died for our sins. And that discovery is so good, it brings us great joy. The Apostle Paul talks about joy in the kingdom of God. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, The peace of being made right with God through Christ 
brings us joy. It's easy to forget the joy. Chances are you don't laugh enough. It's easy to focus on our problems, the things that make us afraid, our struggles, the evil in the world. Jesus says, don't forget the joy. A man getting up in years uh, called his son in New York and he said, your mom and I are getting divorced. Son said, dad, what are you talking about? He said, we're just tired of talking with each other. We're just sick of looking at each other. After 45 years, enough is enough. You can call your sister in Chicago. So the son gets off the phone. He frantically calls his sister. And uh, and she says, there's no way they're getting a divorce. I'll take care of this. So she calls Phoenix. And uh, she says, you're not getting a divorce. I'll take care of this. Don't do anything until I get there. I'll call my brother. We'll be there tomorrow. And the man gets off the phone. He turns to his wife and he says, the kids are coming for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. Isn't that great? Jesus says, don't forget the joy. We take ourselves way too seriously. Solomon says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Uh, Jesus' understanding of joy goes far beyond our typical cultural uh, thinking about joy. Life is hard. We all face difficulties. But Jesus promises us that in His kingdom, We can know joy in the midst of trying times. The Apostle Paul explains his situation as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That may sound contradictory, but it's really not. If you think of sorrowful as an adjective describing your state of mind in your current situation and you understand joy is a choice you make to always turn to Jesus and to rejoice in the midst of your situation. Inviting Christ into our lives is how we enter into the kingdom of God. You can do that right today, right where you are. There is joy in knowing Christ. But our experience of knowing Christ in God's kingdom is not all that it's going to be right now. The kingdom of God will not be fully known until Christ comes again. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus reigns as king. And where he reigns, he brings joy. Let me repeat that. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus reigns as king. And where he reigns, he brings joy. Now, don't miss what else Jesus teaches. Uh, The first part of the parable is a person finds great treasure and then with great joy goes off. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, 
He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The second part is that the person sells everything in order to buy the treasure. The kingdom of God is so good and brings us so much joy, it's worth selling everything in order to know Jesus. You wouldn't go to a store and pay hundreds of dollars to uh, buy something that's only worth a few pennies. You'd never buy anything unless the value of what you buy is greater than the monetary cost. But Jesus says knowing Him is so valuable and so good, it's worth giving up everything to find Him. Jesus looks around. People are still listening, so He tells them another story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So we say, I want this pearl. How much is it? The merchant says, well, it's very expensive. Well, how expensive is it? It's extremely expensive. Do you think I could buy it? Well, sure. Everyone can buy it. I thought you said it was very expensive. Well, it is. Well, how much is it? He says, it costs everything you have. You think about it for a minute. You say, okay, I'll buy it. He says, well, what do you have? You say, well, I have $10,000 in savings. Okay, he writes that down. What else do you have? He says, I don't have anything else. That's it. Then you remember your wallet, and, and you uh, look through it, and you say, you got 20 40 41 $43. Actually, I have a million-dollar bill in my wallet I keep. It's actually a gospel track on the back, but I've had a lot of fun with various people saying, you know. Um, so you say, okay, that's all I have. The man probes, well, where do you live? I live in my house. That too becomes mine. What? Where am I going to sleep? In my RV? You have an RV? Yeah. That too becomes mine. Well, what do you expect me to do now? Sleep in my car? You have a car? Yeah, I have two. Those become mine too. What else? I don't have anything else. You've taken my savings, my wallet, my house, my RV, my cars. You have it all. Are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife and two kids. They become mine too. And even you become mine. I own you. And then the merchant says, now listen. I'm going to let you keep all that stuff. But I never want you to forget that I'm the owner now. You've turned ownership over to me. You've surrendered it over to me. If I ever need it, you give it. This is kind of the basic principle of giving. 
why we give to God. We give to Him the first part of our income. It reminds us that we don't own any of it. He owns it all. If He says He wants us to give, we give. Jesus is so good that it is worth giving up everything in order to know Him. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus reigns as king. So we surrender everything to Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this teaching of Jesus that the kingdom of God is so good that it's worth sacrificing everything we have in order to know Jesus. We sell everything. We put everything second and make Your Son, Jesus, first. I'd like to give you a moment to do that. Wherever you're looking at this, uh, would you just pause and pray for a moment? I think it's always important we pray after we read God's Word. Would you tell Him you want to surrender all to Him? If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do that. And just think through the things that are important to you, your money, your job, your things, and say, I want to surrender, I want to recognize that you own them all. I surrender everything to you. You pray right now. As Micah sings this song, would you just surrender everything to him? Make this your song. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. Surrender.